0: Oh, that music can only mean one thing. It's another episode of Whiskey Unscripted. How are you doing? My name is Gordon Dallas and this is a brand new whiskey podcast brought to you by IMD. And I tell you what, I just wanted to keep on talking because this man in the background, he is playing his heart out. You would never believe he was a young BBC musician of the year. Let's bring him in. Hello, are you there, Gordon Dunsass? I am. How are you? How are you? Very well, Gordon. Listen, let's stop that just now. How's your week been?
1: Oh, I have been. I've been. I've actually, to be honest, I'm. I'm been trying some different things with the drums. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm. I'm about to get evicted, if I'm honest. <laughs> and so, um, uh, no, my week's been. Been. If I'm honest, it's been a bit samey. It's been a bit like most other people's weeks, I think, quite busy with stuff to do, but just been a little bit uh, sort of kicking around the house. So I did uh, I did actually clean my oven over the weekend, which was just shows you I don't think it's ever been. Was that
0: the I, I, Yeah. Do you know what, Gordon? I, was, I, was, I, I looked been. at the oven, and I've just realised this week that you can make food in the kitchen. Ah, that, yes. That's interesting, isn't it? That is very interesting.
1: Yes, that is very interesting.
0: So listen. Um, that aside, that aside, how how um yeah. the news front being, we like to just catch up with the events well, that's happened in the spirit world or the whiskey world, and you get your finger on the pulse.
1: Absolutely, no. There's a couple of couple of interesting things that I I've picked up in the news. The first thing is um, that I, I I read I get my news from various sources, which I think is is important, so none of it is fake. Um, in this day of fake fake news, so um, one of the things that I've noticed, and a big shout out to Um, the countries that this applies to, is um, that the sale of whiskey and spirits um, and alcohol in general um, from retailers um, around the world is higher than it has been, which is great. Certain big shout-outs to Canada, Great Britain, Australia, uh, who seem to be leading the charge on this. Not a surprise, maybe, to many, but... um, yeah, no. There's a lot of lot of spirits and things being bought at the moment online, and and you know, uh, for people to enjoy at home, which is great. And and Gordon did. Of um,
0: Michael Sim last week in the virtual bar, which I know you yeah. want an invite to, but uh, yeah, you, you'll have is to. My name I, not dying. I'm not going in. No, quite. A, not Hi. yet, but quite a, a good feedback from people that have heard it and were oh. were, were encouraged to go and try and cocktails.
1: Absolutely, we've been doing some good coverage of that on on Smokehead TV, which is on. Uh, every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Instagram, I think. Um, And uh, we're still obviously doing lots of virtual tastings, which is the other thing that I have noticed, obviously a huge amount of increase in virtual tastings. And uh, one of my favorite news sources, Whiskey Sponge, has covered this in their latest article. Um, So anybody who wants to get their take on that, on virtual whiskey tastings in terms of how many are being done etc go to whiskysponge.com one of the funniest
0: outlets for whiskey news <laughs> i'm going to do that after this we're going to get straight into the tastings we cannot start a whiskey unscripted oh, show with what are you tasting
1: hold on
0: what well, eh? i
1: That's have well wonderful I, thing. Am, I am drinking one of my favorite sort of just styles of whiskey i think and uh uh, I've got a little Glengoyne 10-year-old. Oh, um, nice. Approachable, very drinkable, um, very smooth. But the most important thing about Glen Glengoyne 10-year-old is that someone had the foresight to put it into an orange container, an orange tube, which means that I always put it in my emergency. I can find it in an emergency. Uh, you don't even have to break the glass. You just have to open the tube. It's a fantastic bit of innovation so that you know glen going 10 will always be easily findable should you need it in an emergency
0: and how many uh, emergencies How many emergencies do you generally have gordon of an evening tend to have a few more over the weekends <laughs> and a few more in the evenings but not so many in the mornings which is probably a good a, a, a very good thing oh the, the yeah. 10 going going excellent i'm going to take you uh, right back last week and I was doing the Six Isles the In e. McLeod Six Isles ah, which was a blended yes. malt from Six Islands well I've rooted around my drinks uh, cupboards and I've found an island I've found the island of Jura and I've got a lovely 18 year old red wine finish 44% ABV and it's matured in bourbon barrels and uh, American oak sherry casks so that American oak is really driving the, the flavour there but a lovely wee bit of smoke in the background a lovely wee bit of spice as well and it's just a, a rare
1: little dram. Jura is a lovely whiskey. It's, it, it's, it's gone through some iterations in the past, but it's a great, great great whiskey. And you can get peated and non-peated, I think. So
0: is that a, is that a peated one Yeah, one? It's, it's a hint of smoke, I would say. It's a bit of smoke there. Nothing too overt for my palate. And just on that island of Jura, a couple of things I love about Jura. Uh, historically, the KLF, remember them, the band in 1994, burned a million pounds in Jura, with a bottle of whiskey and just throwing whiskey money into a fire and it was a sort of protest I, do you remember that i do remember
1: that <laughs> and the reason i remember that is it was done at dura house uh which is in the south of the island which has been bought not recently but been bought by an australian who's building a wonderful golf course and all this sort of thing on the island which is great um but my old boss actually i think was there at the time oh, um know genuinely, because it was his family that used to own the house. So anyway, great story. They're burning a million pounds. I bet the KLF are now wishing we'd never done that.
0: <laughs> That's absolutely right. Right. It's a Whiskey Magazine show. Gordon Dundas, Gordon Dallas brought to you IMD. But we like to have features. And uh, one of the features I love, because you know I like my history, mm-hmm. um, is a year that changed whiskey. Coming up, we have a wonderful interview you conducted with John Cashman. Wonderful knowledge he's got. And I thought, what year could maybe fit in with that? And it's the year of 1494, the year that changed whisky. Now, this year was the year, the first written evidence that distilled spirit was being made from malted barley. We talked about the rules last week. Uh, it has to be made from malted barley. Well, in 1494, an exchequer's rule, which is like a tax register from King James the Fourth, has been uh, unearthed. And uh, written down, it's eight balls of malt to make aqua vitae uh, by Brother John Corr for King James IV. So this monk called Brother John Corr was making aqua the water of life, from malted barley. And that's the first written reference to that happening anywhere in the world. And I know we have our ups and downs with the Irish, but that's written evidence. I'm interested to see what John Cashman says about that. But what's important, Gordon, it doesn't tell you what it was for. James IV was a scientist, a great Renaissance man, and the first license for Aquavity to be made anywhere in Scotland was a college barber of surgeons in mm-hmm. Edinburgh uh, about 10 years later. So we think it was maybe more medicinal rather than for drinking. But, yep, this mm-hmm. monk was making malted barley into lovely, clear spirit for the king in Lindores abbey hey, which yeah. is on the banks of the river tay so that really is quite a red letter year so that is a year that changed whiskey 1494 it really is the the, the starting pistol for the industry that we're in oh. now that's the year Wow! Well, thank you for that you you do love your research fantastic like my research. so let's
1: let's let's hear from john um he's uh as i said uh you know a great um advocate for irish whiskey loves his scotch whiskey as well but um, he's um, he, he really can give us some real insights into the differences, Some dispel some of the myths of it as well.
0: That's a wonderful interview. Please, everyone, just sit back, have a dram, and listen to Gordon Dadas and John.
1: John, legend of the Irish whiskey industry. Um, great to have you on Whiskey Unscripted. What we're keen to really just uh, find out from you is a little bit about, you know, why is Irish whiskey different to Scottish whiskey? Um, there's a huge amount of history in this and there's a huge amount of um, sort of um, years of, of, of differences between the two. So in summary, where did Irish whiskey come from? It's obviously older than Scotch, isn't it?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, there's legend and there's fact. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as you're well aware in our line of business, we kind of uh, tread between the two. Uh, we tell a we tell a good story but we also have to ensure that there's a, that there's fact to back it up and i mean the, the story of irish whiskey to a large degree is similar to the story of Scotch whiskey. I mean, it came about through distillation of Ishkabaha or Iskabaha, as you say in Scotland, um, which translates as water of life. Somehow somebody uh, decided to put it into a, into a cask at some stage. It changed, it changed colour, it changed texture, it changed flavour, and uh, it became whiskey. Um, it's, it's, it's commonly thought that the word whiskey does come from the Irish or Scottish language from an anglicization of Ishkabaha because we certainly say over here in Ireland, when the Normans first came to Ireland in 1169, they, they drank plenty of Ishkabaha but they struggled to pronounce it correctly. So they, they took the word ishkabaha shortened it to the word for water, ishka which is spelled U-I-S-C-E, pronounced it Isky. And uh, mm. as English language evolved from early Anglo-Norman, Isky became fuisky, and then became uh, whiskey. The first written example of, of, of Whisky in Ireland actually predates the famous um, friar John Corr in Scotland. Um, and it's in a thing called the um, the Annals of... Um, actually, the, the word escapes me now. It's, it's outside Kilkenny anyway. And uh, that's the first mention of Ishkabaha. Um But then if we go to fact, I mean distilling was certainly happening throughout all the centuries in Ireland and uh, the Kilbegan distillery is said to be the oldest licensed whiskey distillery if not in Ireland certainly the world um mm. or the other way around if not the world certainly Ireland uh, 1757 um yeah, which compares
1: and, to sorry which compares yeah. to a scottish one of 1776 so i mean yes. you know there 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 is a, an obvious difference
2: yes yes and and even if if, if you want to take something a little bit uh Predating that, uh, Bushmills always claimed to be the oldest uh, from 1608, but 1608 was just when a grant was given to a landowner to allow him to collect tax Mm. off anyone on his land who was producing Ishgabaha. And uh, it just so happened that he was in the region of Bushmills. So in 1608, all these licenses were being given out around. It doesn't mean the distillery existed, but if licenses were being given to landowners, certainly distilling was happening. Maybe not on the commercial Mm. way that we know it today, but we know with with Kilbegan and since 1757, a license has been paid for every single year since 1757, uh, permitting whoever owned Uh, the facilities and owned the buildings to produce whiskey or not produce whiskey depending what they want but the license has been there so yeah I mean officially it does uh, as as a commercial activity it predates it predates Scottish Scottish whiskey
1: well there you go now there's a huge resurgence in Irish whiskey at the moment and we see many many distilleries opening up around around the island of Ireland which is fantastic and I think it's a really you know a great thing for Irish whiskey because you know for years there was really only four distilleries was there not yeah that's
2: absolutely true and it was worse than that for a while um i mean the irish whiskey is very much a, a boom bust uh a kind of economic model if you take the the early 19th century the irish whiskey industry uh was far larger than the scottish industry and there were said to be you know hundreds of distilleries dotted all around the all around the country and in a lot of places um a, a, a decent sized town might have two distilleries and two breweries because they were unfortunately broken down sectarian lines there was the protestant distillery and there was the catholic distillery and uh, a catholic wouldn't drink whiskey from a protestant distillery and vice versa <laughs> um so 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 that that was very very common um but then by the time if you take when um bernard traveled through scotland and ireland and, and great britain and uh, and everywhere and uh he he wrote about i think it was 20 20- seven distilleries in our in ireland um in his book and they were large uh, large operations, you know, um, mm. much, much bigger than your, your, your average Scottish distillery. If you go through the, the figures, and uh, as you know, in his book, he goes into quite detail, the output, um, you'll see the majority of the Irish distilleries are far larger than than, than the largest of the Scottish distilleries. Mm. Um, so we had, you know, these 27 large operational distilleries in the 1880s. And uh, by the end of uh, World War Two there were six distilleries left open in Ireland. And by the 1960s, there were four. And by the 1970s, there were two. And
0: there Mm -hmm. were only
2: two distilleries producing whiskey in Ireland until 1987, um, when Cooley Distillery was founded. Um, And then in... uh, what year was it now, two, I was there, so I should remember, 2007, um, the Kilbegan distillery reopened. Yeah. The license had continued to be paid. They always paid for a license, um, but it started distilling again in 2007, and that brought it to four. And it was four until about 2010, 2011, mm-hmm. when I think Dingle was the next new distillery to open. Um, and then just all of a sudden, boom, um, mm-hmm. massive, massive new number of distilleries, which is great. Because, I think people realized there were a few things at play here. Firstly, Irish whiskey became very popular again. And there are many different reasons for that. Um, One of which is just the success of the marketing of a a heavyweight like Pernod Ricard, putting all the emphasis behind a brand like Jemison. Now, I mean, love it or hate it, no matter what you think about the quality of the liquid, as a brand, it's been phenomenally successful. hugely, yeah. Um, you know, you see it in all Hollywood movies, you have uh, you have uh, rock stars, A-listers in Hollywood naming their kids, Jemison, um, all this type of stuff, you know, so it's been phenomenally successful, and that's it, certainly, sorry,
0: certainly...
1: Sorry, I just want to tell you a great story about Jemison's, is that okay? Yeah. Um, I, I, as you know, I like a little bit of sailing, and... Uh-huh. Um, and um, there was Jameson sponsored the Irish Admiral's Cup team, which is a sort of sailing event that used to happen in the sort of 80s and 90s. And um, all three boats were sponsored by Jameson's. And there was one boat in the team that was meant to be very fast, but wasn't. And uh, Harold Cudmore, a very famous sailor at that point, um, they were talking about oh, they we're not doing very well in this boat. What, what, what should we do? And they actually rammed the boat up the rocks on purpose. Um, and uh, really the pr the pr got behind it and and very simply it said uh, jameson's on the rocks on the front of the telegraph the next day <laughs> which was a wonderful story
2: Brilliant, 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 well. You know, the other thing, Irish whiskey is—it's just the flavour is different to mm. Scottish whiskey. It is a lighter, all these adjectives that I don't particularly like using because they seem to be very uh, general. But you know, it is a lighter style of whiskey, and mm. there may be uh, reasons for that. A lot of a lot of those reasons are are misunderstood. Um, but the main reason is, you know, Ireland is a different country to Scotland, it is. and the climate is different um we are more southerly we have a milder climate um okay isla or or, or Campbelltown are similar but as you yeah. well know if you get down to the essence of a spirit from isla it's very soft you know mm-hmm. it is a soft like type of spirit um through maturation and, and in ireland we have the gulf streams coming around keeps us nice nice and uh not too cold in the winter not too warm in the summer and Whiskey likes that and just matures at that more mild and mellow pace, which results in that lighter style of whiskey. People Um, around the world started liking it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing, of course, is to, uh, at this point, Irish whiskey is lighter. But let's dispel that that big myth, the one that most people think.
2: Yeah, triple versus double versus whatever. Yeah, I mean, um, Irish whiskey is not all triple distilled just like not all Scotch whiskey is double distilled, you know? Yeah. Okay, there are more instances in Ireland of non triple distilled whiskey. But, you know, you got to put yourself back 20, 30 years ago. The industry, the Irish whiskey industry was dominated by one company uh, and that company triple distilled their whiskey. So when they had it all to themselves, they would market themselves as being different to Scotch and as being different to American whiskey, the two, the two like dominant whiskies of, 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 of the era. And the big difference was they triple distilled. So they would say triple distilled, you know, twice as smooth, whatever, whatever, you know, marketing terms they were using. But the laws regulating Irish whiskey do not state you need to. They actually don't say how many times you have to distill it all. Um, so you can triple the still, you can double the still, and uh, some of the big brands are are double the still. The likes the Connemara, which also, you know, breaks up that other big myth about Irish whiskey. That Irish whiskey doesn't use peat, doesn't Ooh. use smoke. Well, here's Connemara, one of the most highly decorated and awarded not just Irish whiskey, but whiskies in the world, and it's double distilled the and peated.
1: You know. Yeah, I know. So, uh,
2: Look, it's there's there's all these myths and legends and misconceptions and misunderstandings with Irish whiskey, but we're definitely on the crest of a wave at the yeah. moment. Um, let's see what the next few months yeah. will bring. You know, well,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think you know the more diversity that you have in in the Irish whiskey category is great, and um, you know, you also have um, you have similar sort of styles in terms of single malt, and you have blended whiskies, and you have. Um, all those sorts of things like we have here, single grain. But there's also that unique Irish category, which you don't get anywhere else.
2: Yeah, yeah, very much so with the uh, single pot still category. Um, yeah, what
0: is which, that?
2: Yeah, it's like a lot of... Um, Irish distilleries did not like paying tax Um, (laughs) and in the 18th century uh, when the British crown realized that Irish whiskey was very popular all over the world and they wanted to monetize it they decided on uh, putting in a malt tax so you would tax the amount of malt that a distillery was using well the crafty distillers would look at this tax and go well F that, we're not going to pay 100% tax. Let's limit the amount of malt that we use. So they would start experimenting and reduce the amount of malt, but throw in unmalted barley, throw in oats, maybe throw in rye, throw in whatever other cereal that they could get sugars out of um, and use just enough malt to, you know, for fermentation, you know, for a sacrification, for getting the sugars, um, um, but, but throw everything else in. But distill the same way. Put it in a pot still and distill it. Um, and this became the quintessential style of Irish whiskey, certainly at the turn of the 20th century, mm. where you had all these brands that were pot still based. So they would have a certain amount of malted barley, but then they would have unmalted barley, in some cases rye, in other cases oats. So it's interesting. Oats were primarily used as a filtration process because, um, mm. as you know, uh, eating porridge in the morning and, uh, you know, the oats do, uh, do turn to gloop for... That's a technical term, by the way. And, um, <laughs> you know, and and things would get... The, the husks and all that would get stuck through it, but the liquid would, would filter through. But it would also add a certain amount of flavour. Um, so mm. that that style of whiskey has now been defined within the technical file for Irish whiskey. And it is a, a distilled uh, pot still distilled whiskey in Ireland, minimum 30% malted barley, minimum 30% unmalted barley and no more than 5% of any other cereal. So uh, they, 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 they've, they've actually put a put put yeah this this technical file together and that was to for eu regulation so that we could okay. get the gi um, across europe which would mean then that irish whiskey be recognised all around the world and then you get some brands like kilbeggan pot still <clears throat> which has completely uh, brought that back to life and they're using malted barley and malted barley and rye or oh. sorry not rye oats um, the Kilbegan Small Batch Rye used, used rye, uh, but couldn't call it a pot still because it was 30% rye. But very much the style of whiskey from 100 years ago. And, and that's, that's a unique element in Irish whiskey. And it's some amazing, some amazing pot still whiskeys. I mean, yeah. Redbreast. Redbreast
1: is fantastic. I love it. The,
2: yeah, it's one of the best whiskeys out there. Mm. And this pot still style brings an oiliness. It brings a spiciness. Yeah. That you, yeah. don't, you, you only really get with the more heavily distilled Scotch malts. Um, you get that oiliness, um, but it's natural in in pot still whiskey, and it's coming from the uh, essentially the green barley, the unmalted barley. So yeah, beautiful, beautiful style of whiskey that it is because it's in the GI. You can't make pot still whiskey anywhere else around the world. You can do a, a style of it, but you can't call it pot still because now that's covered by EU law on the GI. So it's uh, yeah something we have a little a little unique thing, and that's the Irish industry. It's it is a bit more. There are rules and there are regulations, but within those you can, you can experiment. There's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of diversity within this technical file, and it gives us a bit of an advantage over over other styles of whiskey. I do have to say.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it's really interesting in terms of you know we have quite probably very defined rules in Scotch whiskey, and um, you know, there's a lot of people have views on those rules. But I mean, I think what I'm very interested in is whether. You know, if you were to do a single pot still style uh, whiskey in Scotland, what would you call it? Could you market it? What would it be? Would it taste great? Would a peated one be interesting? There's a whole range of things that you could look at.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to some peated potzels coming from Ireland because um uh, traditionally, you know, that would have been the style because if people were drying barley a hundred years ago, we didn't have coal mines, we didn't have anthracite, we didn't have natural gas. We had peat. One sixth of the island is is a is a peat bog. So peat or turf as we call it over here was was always used. So I'd love to yeah. see that coming back and I know of some smaller smaller distilleries that are experimenting with that and i know of some putchin uh little putchin makers that are using uh Mm. a peated peated putchins which i haven't tried yet but i'm i I definitely want to try to get my hands on it um so yeah it's it's a great time to be in the irish whiskey industry It, it absolutely is you know
1: so so why do you spell whiskey wrongly
2: Ishka, U-I-S-C-E, so there's always been a C in the Irish language uh, for the word water. So I think as it was anglicized, it became a C-E-Y, or or, sorry, K-E-Y. But, yeah, you know, the E is that extra sign of
1: quality. (laughs) Of course, of course, of course. Now, the other uh, thing that I get get, get asked a lot, John, is, oh, all American whiskey is spelt with an E. Um, That's not true. Um, But all Irish whiskey is spelt with an E. Um, no, not all Irish whiskies. Oh.
2: again, uh, within our, uh, within our technical file, you can spell it K Y or K E Y. Um, oh. what
0: happened? Back,
2: yeah, no, um, a hundred years ago, there was, um, any amount of whiskeys were spelled K Y and any amount were K E Y. Um, there is a book that I got a, a, a reprint of, um, called truths about whiskey. And it's spelled KY in this. So Mm. Truths About Whiskey. And um, it was a book commissioned by the big distillers in Dublin of the day in the Mm. early 20th century. So John Jemison, Andrew Jemison, both Scotsmen, by the way, or of Scottish stock, Married to Hague Women, uh, George Rowe Distillery and the, I can't remember the fourth one anyway. So they wrote this book about the style of whiskey that was being made outside of Dublin was using a lot of grain whiskey in the blend and they didn't consider it whiskey because they were using just pot still pure pot still whiskeys and they saw theirs as a better quality of whiskey so in order to differentiate themselves from the uh, rural distilleries they spelt theirs k-e-y uh. whereas outside a lot of them spelt So if you get some old bottles of Paddy whiskey, for example, which is from Cork, that was spelled KY uh, traditionally, Paddy whiskey. Um, the Dublin distilleries, the Gemis and the Paris, sorry, powers I should have remembered, that was the fourth one, uh, they spelt it K-E-Y. So, um, okay. and then when this monopoly controlled Irish whiskey from the 1960s until 1987, they all spelt it K-E-Y. So um, that's how it became, it became custom. But some of the newer whiskies, some of the distilleries like the Blackwater Distillery in County Waterford, which are doing some amazing, amazing, innovative stuff, mm-hmm. they've decided to spell all their whiskey K-Y. So again, all these misconceptions, all these myths, they're all broken down over time
1: absolutely absolutely so just to finish on john uh, i'm going to ask you of your top three scottish whiskies, and i'm going to tell you my favorite <laughs> irish whiskey so if i had to take you over the uh, irish sea and plonk you in scotland and you had a free range in a helicopter to go to your favorite oh. distilleries which ones would you go to
2: well the first one well, straight away is Bowmore. Um, I have been fortunate in my career that uh, for a period of time I was representing Bowmore around the world, which was always interesting, an Irishman uh, promoting Scottish whiskey. And um, one of my all-time favorite whiskeys, period, uh, Irish, Scottish, Japanese, American, it doesn't matter. I've, I'm on record a few times saying my all-time favorite whiskey was the old travel retail, more. The uh, White Sands. Do you remember that Mm, one? Is that a 17-year-old? Yes. Yeah. All bourbon barrel matured. Yeah, it was very good. And that, for me, is my all-time favorite whiskey. Uh, Dublin Airport, for a period of time, was uh, selling it off cheaper than anywhere else around the world. It was something (laughs) like 70 euro, because they just obviously didn't know what they had. And uh, so every time I was passing through, which was quite often, I was picking up a bottle. Now, I made one fatal mistake. Uh, I introduced the whiskey to my wife. And she fell in love with it too. (laughs) So instead of having enough to last me quite a while, it's now been split. 50% 50% down the line um, because uh, she, she she took a shine to it and started drinking it as well. So uh, I don't mean split down the line because we split and she took 50% of everything. I don't mean that, by the way. I'm still happily, <laughs> I'm still happily married. It's just I had to share it. And yep. then I made another stupid mistake. I mentioned it once in a tasting that I was doing for staff of Dublin Airport. So some of the staff went out and started buying it up as well. So it all of a sudden it was gone. Um, another one for me that I absolutely loved and I, I i got to try it uh, num- and that's what i love about whiskey shows just trying things that i wouldn't normally have absolutely. an opportunity to try i love old Pult- pulteney yeah that's right Old it, Pultene, yeah. yeah old pulteney absolutely love this yeah from wick very very uh northerly absolutely love it and i want to i want to visit there sometime um i love everything i've tried of theirs i think there was some some around the mid-teens that i mm. absolutely fell in love with i thought mm. were amazing amazing liquids yeah third one um again was one I was involved with um for a period of time and I just I I think are, is a vastly underrated distillery and that's the Glen Geary distillery um, oh yeah that's no, a very
1: good one very the, good one. typically highland in its stuff yeah it is spicy and-
2: i talk about whether i talk about irish whiskies or other whiskies. They are of their environment. You know, the environment plays such an important role in the ultimate flavor of a whiskey, be it Isla having that that, that salty sea area thing or, you know, whatever. You know, everyone has its, its, its distinct style. But you go to Glengarry, you can almost taste the heather you can taste the the, the, the the farmland it sounds ridiculous and it's also got that oiliness akin almost to to a pot still style of whiskey that viscosity in your mouth that you know and it's and I suppose for an Irishman it's it's it is closer to the style styles of whiskey that I grew up drinking so over to you Gordy yeah. boy
1: well I mean I uh, we, we've mentioned it already Um, I'm a fan of it's sort of lightness, but it's sort of smoky. I'm a huge fan of Connemara. It's a lovely whiskey. Um, and, um, I love just the sort of style. It's got this sort of light, sweet style, but it has this sort of robust smokiness behind it, which I really like. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of that one. Um, I'm, I'm also a big fan of what the guys at Teeling are doing. I think what they do there is really interesting in terms of their, uh, in terms of their maturations and different casks and I've been through a couple of tastings of theirs and I think there's some really interesting stuff that they're doing.
2: Very innovative. They've a great distiller, uh, Alex Chasco, I, yeah, he's I a worked nice with guy. him for a while. He's a he's a great guy, but he's uh, he's he's like a mad scientist He just goes in and tries all these different things and they have these amazing finishes and yeah yeah they're they 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 have really shook things up in the Irish industry.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the third one, again, I meant Redbreast. I think Redbreast, yeah. it's Singapore uh, single pot still is lovely. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that whiskey as well. So I drink quite a little bit of Irish, I have to say, John, good. and, and uh, think of the good old days. Yeah,
2: I suppose. Yeah, it's always good to have an Irish whiskey when Leicester thumped Glasgow every now and then at the old rugby, you know. It
1: does happen a bit too much, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And clearly, I need to send you some Blangoyne and Tamdus. So yes. Your top three. But.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I went off. I went off point there.
1: That's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. This is a this is an industry wide thing. So, um, but I'll make sure I get a bottle of Tamdou over to you, bottle of oh, it, to try.
2: I definitely, definitely will appreciate that. It will be uh, in these present lockdown scenario. It's it's good to have whiskey in the house. I just won't oh. give it to the wife. That's all. <laughs>
1: John, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Thank awesome. you for taking some time out from your children, and uh, great to catch up. And uh, we look forward to keeping in touch with you.
2: Yes, and I'm sure I will see you at some rugby match when things get back to uh, normality, and uh, or either because, as you know, I do travel uh, to to away games at Leinster, so I'll definitely have to go go to go to Scotstown and uh, well, a whiskey show, of course. Oh, well that, that that as well, that as well, and get some rugby in the weekend.
1: Absolutely. It's Let's hope it comes back, back right. to that as soon as possible. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, Gordy. Thanks a million, man. Take care, John. All the Cheers. best.
0: Fantastic interview there from John Cashman. I'd, I'd love to get a, a glass of that red breast. I have to say, but just on oh. the before we move on on the the Irish thing, it's just it's such a huge topic, Gordon. I'd love to revisit it again. Not only because last week we talked about Aeneas Kofi, the Irish excise man that invents these continual column yeah. stills, an amazing gift to the Scottish whisky dis- uh, producers, also yep. the potato famine of the Irish coming across in their droves to Glasgow, which really fueled, of uh, gave the workers for the Industrial Revolution hugely important as well, uh, coming at 1,000 a, a week um, mm-hmm. into Glasgow. And mm-hmm. also, part of that immigration, Gordon, was the legendary distillery manager, Cochrane Cartwright of Glengoyne, who was celebrated in Legacy okay. 1, or Legacy Chapter 1 yep. uh, last year, his mother and father were Irish. They came over huh? in the 1840s and settled in Glasgow, one of the well, many go. tens of thousands of immigrants. Uh, and their son became the uh, uh, august and esteemed distillery manager at Glengoyne, who slowed the stills down and introduced sherry huh? casks. An amazing contribution the Irish have uh, given us. Huh? And as John mentioned as well, of course, the
1: Jamesons were from Scotland. So, um, you know, there's this whole sort of interaction between Irish and Scot I mean very very linked together so yeah you know the biggest brand jameson's drives that drives the category out there but there's some really nice innovation and things going on behind it but, um it, and it i doesn't... also like the fact that he 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 blew out some whiskey myths
0: yes now whiskey myths well i didn't realize what is your best... the e and the, the, the non-e so all irish whiskey does not need to have an e it's not it's not part well, of the, I, the law i thought that actually was the case to
1: be honest but um a lot of people think that all American whiskey has an e, but actually, that's not the case either. And so, I thought, to be honest, all Irish whiskey did have an e, but obviously, that I, I didn't know that until he told me. So there you go. Basically, so, Gordon, you're you're myth busting here. This is what you you're on a you're on a quest to myth bust. I am, um, and. You know, I think the other thing is, you know, all Irish whiskeys triple distilled. Bang, there goes another one.
0: Correct. Another one falls. You know,
1: that's not true either. Um, yes, Irish whiskey's lighter, but it's not all triple distilled and so you know, let let's let's blow that one out there and while we're at it, let's blow some more out of the water. Go for it. We're gonna call Mythbusters. <laughs> do, 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 do. Mythbusters. Right. There's so here we go. There's a show in this. There is a show in this. Um, Let's start with a really simple one. Single malt means it all comes from the same cask. Uh, uh, does not. It means it all comes from the one distillery and 100% malt. That's what single malt means. Single cask, of course, very different. So that's a a nice one to to blow out the water. Uh,
0: I'll Um, do an old one, Gordon. Uh, Never add water to your whiskey. No. I sometimes at uh, when I've been I was a tour guide, people no, nope, never add water to my whiskey they just don't do it.
1: but there is water in it already. It's made with water.
0: <laughs> so yeah, no,
1: that's another one. Drink it however you want to. What else? I think the other classic of course and and older is better. Ah, uh, that is not true either. It's a to- whiskey is a total taste thing. Generally one of the problems with older whiskey is you have a lot less of it because you lose so much to the angel's share. But for a lot of people, you know, older whiskies are not what they want to taste, and and sometimes sometimes if it's done done not correctly, and um, too much aging can subtract from a whiskey's flavour. So so there's 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 a whole range of things to consider. But um, older does not naturally mean better. What what makes a good whiskey is great spirit, as we heard from Sandy and 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 Jason in the previous episode, and wonderful casks, the wooden casks that it spends the years in.
0: Gordon, I think we just have to jump back in the. Back in our car and head back to the fire station. I think Mythbusters will have to wait for the next call, and we'll go out and do some more myth busting later on. Well, I've got, I've got one more. Have you? Yeah, I
1: think one more that that that, that I think is and, and linked to what we've just spoken about, and, I, and something that I know that people look at and and you know that, that older means darker as well, uh, and that's not the case either. That also dependent on the type of cast that you're using. Colour comes from the wood alone, so. A lot of people, certainly from our whiskies, we use natural colour. So that doesn't mean it all depends on the type of cask that you use that drives the colour.
0: You going to call Yeah, it absolutely.
1: absolutely so. so a little bit of myth busting there. Well, listen, oh, that's,
0: that music in the background means it's time for us to move on to the 80s of Scotch whisky. If you like the alphabet, if you like two grown men talking about letters in the alphabet, this is the feature for you. Gordon, where are we in the 80s of Scotch whisky? Um,
1: Hold on. C, C. You Use your fingers. D. We're on D.
0: D. <laughs> That's number four finger. <laughs> D. 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 So I'm going to shout out for you. What's your first D? D. I would like to. I'd like to throw in a Doig, if I may. Um, oh. Mr. Charles Doig, a, a, a Elgin Architects, who designed upwards of 57 distilleries. about one of his most lasting inventions, because he was an inventor as well, and those Victorians they- were just amazingly. Uh, high than output of all things but Doig not only designed Tam du distillery, architect and, and and drew it all up to be the most modern distillery of its time but he invented what? a system of kilning uh, which included uh, the pagoda chimney, the Doig ventilator which is a way oh, of drying wow. the barley uh, avoiding the, the weather from outside and with vents you could make it heavily peated or less peated um, by burning the peat underneath it so an amazing invention and it's still the the symbol of our industry today, Charles Doig. Absolutely. Doig's, it's, it's, almost,
1: it's almost on every distillery, although not many of them actually have kilns anymore. So, mm-hmm. But uh, it is a unique shape of a Scotch whiskey distillery that you sort of... It's very iconic. So, all right. Right. And Diva Doig. Go. Distillation. Mm-hmm. Pretty important part of making whiskey. Probably the part that makes more of the whiskeys different to any of the others. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Uh, we learned about distillation from Jason, so I'm not going to particularly... Uh, dwell on it but you can do it two times you can do it three times or you can do it continuously there's many different ways of distillation i'll go
0: for okay. um a uh, dunnage could i go for dunnage oh dunnage yes which is a type of warehouse a traditional uh, warehouse where the you know earthen floors brick wall mm-hmm. really is yep. a traditional way of maturing your whiskey
1: very cold in there isn't it,
0: it stops the weather from really being too hot in the summer and too cold in the in the winter, really, and just that sort of damp environment just seems to be the best environment for maturing whiskey. Just one of these. Yeah, those... certainly in
1: Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and very different to other warehouses around the world. I went to Canada um, to see some maturation warehouses, totally temperature controlled. These warehouses, which I thought was quite interesting. Bourbon distilleries, very different way of maturing casks. They have rack houses which are nine floors each floor has three casks so 27 casks high and the variation in position in hot kentucky makes a big difference in the style of a cask that you would uh that you would get in bourbon so the position of warehouses is position of casks in warehouse is really important in um in kentucky yeah for bourbon production so um Warehouses and well, dunnage are a very, very uh, important aspect of Scottish whisky maturation. Dunnage,
0: carry on, Gordon. Um, we're on the D's, we've got to uh, doig, dunnage, distillation. Give us a D. I'm,
1: I've got a doubler. Uh, so a doubler is just a very quick one. Um, basically, when you distill a bourbon or you distill um, other types of whiskey, you generally, bourbons, generally made in a continuous distillation, sort of a column still initially. Um, and then they use a pot still doubler, which is just a little still to increase the strength in the second distillation. So it's a little still that just increases the strength oh. a little bit before the before the spirit's ready to go uh, into the cask. So
0: that's what a, a, a sort of doubler is in, in mainly bourbon production. I'll just jump ahead. I could have Dalhain's a distillery. And I should say, for those students of history, that was Doig's first ventilator. In Dalwain, in 1889. Huh. I'll move on. Draft, Another one, Gordon, the oh. byproduct of a mash, uh, which yes. is giraffe.
1: Do not c- cows love that, don't they?
0: That's right. Uh, well, they, they used to until anaerobic digestion came along. Uh, now they Do can't what? get much sorry? of it. <laughs> sorry,
1: sorry, what? <laughs>
0: anaerobic digestion.
1: I've got some Rennies, should you? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: know. Gordon, well, for, uh, run out of time how's the how's the whiskey going down the glen going 10
1: ah oh, I, I i mean just just lovely thoroughly enjoyed it thoroughly enjoyed it very very approachable very very welcoming style of whiskey it's been lovely
0: uh, lovely the jura 18 very nice certainly is a lovely whiskey for a second second dram oh there's okay. another D! hey <laughs> right so have Gordon, we got any other
1: business, or are we, are we concluding episode I think we'll just unscript
0: four. ourselves off into the... Um, well, I might, I might revisit the kitchen again, I suppose, see what's happening in the living room, maybe maybe move into the hall. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, no. We'll see. Absolutely. Well, have an interesting
1: evening, Um, uh, orienteering round the house.
0: <laughs> Gordon Das, thank you very much for your time here on Whiskey Unscripted.
1: See you in episode
0: five.